The following program does not offer personal medical advice. Please consult your doctor before using any treatment or product we cover. Welcome to Go to Health Radio with your host, Jonathan Marks. We provide a welcoming environment where experts educate you on important health topics, answer your questions, and provide information from which you can benefit in consultation with your doctor. And now, here is Jonathan Marks. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Go to Health. This is your host, Jonathan Marks. And here we are at the beginning of summer. You're all ready to go out and get some sun and enjoy the fresh air and with friends and family. But there's a problem that goes along with this, which is too much sun exposure. So in the U.S. population as a whole, sun damage is the major driver of the increase in skin cancer in general and an accelerator of the aging of the skin. We will discuss basic mechanisms of damage for each and simple steps of sensible sun protection, which can help reduce risk for you. And our guest today is Dr. Jeffrey Schneider. Dr. Schneider retired after almost 30 years of practice at Kaiser Permanente, most recently as Chief of Dermatology in Marin and Southern Sonoma counties in California. He continues his work as an associate clinical professor at the University of California at San Francisco Department of Dermatology, working to improve sun protection education, especially in patients at higher risk for melanoma. So welcome to the show, Jeff. How are you today? Good. Thank you. Good. So let's talk about this problem of sun exposure and melanoma and skin cancer. Give us an overview of what the problem is. Well, I think, as you said, uh, Skin cancer is increasing a lot. Uh, both the less serious types, basal cell and squamous cell, we're talking about several million actually a year of each one. So it's quite a large number. Fortunately, most of the non-melanomas are not that serious, but when they're on your face and you have to have it at your tip of your nose, that's a problem. Melanoma is increasing rapidly too. Um, some of that may be issues of what we call early diagnosis, but there's no question that the rate is going up somewhat. Mm -hmm. As we said, sun is the major driver and you can still go outside. You don't have to be paranoid. You just have to be reasonable. Got it. Jeff, can you tell us what's the difference between basal and squamous cell? The most common is basal cell. And that forms as a little sore. Um, it could be anywhere in your body, though most commonly it's the face, ears, neck, arms, but it can be anywhere in your body, legs. It's usually not on double covered areas. So it's rare to see, you know, under, under underwear areas, but and under arms, but it does happen there, but much less commonly. Mm -hmm. It usually starts as a sore which won't heal, a little pearly spot. It just doesn't want to go away. It's bleeding. And when something like that goes on for more than a month and you know you're not picking at it, you probably should get it checked. Or you see this little growth that's just going, getting bigger over time. The basal cells tend to be sort of pearly, but basically, if you see something that's growing consistently, not one day you say it's there and it hasn't changed in a long time, but if it's growing, you should get it checked. Squamous cell is less common, a little more serious. It tends to be tender and rough. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you have a sore that's tender and rough, it could be bleeding too. And again, it's growing, then you should definitely show it to your doctor. Um, and then... There are precancerous changes, but basically those are the people who just notice they have rough spots in their arms or faces and 
they get often frozen. And those can go on, not obligate. It's maybe one in a hundred per year, right. right? but it's a higher in people with high risk. But there's certainly a warning sign. You should definitely start protecting yourself at that point. So do basal and squamous cell, is it carcinoma, is it called it? Or what, what, what is it? They're both basal? called carcinomas, right? Sure. Okay. And uh, so a basal cell, as I said, there are definitely people who die from it, but it's pretty rare. Squamous cell, a little bit more common. Mm-hmm. Melanoma is the one with a bigger mortality by several fold compared to the others, even though it's less common. Right. But, but let me just ask, so basal and squamous cell, their only cause is sun exposure or there, are there other causes? Um, set, overwhelmingly, it's sun mm-hmm. for both of them. Um, chemical, certain chemical exposes, carcinogens can do it. With squamous cells, chronic irritation or after a burn can do it. And then in both of them, there are genetic predispositions, which are very rare. I mean, certainly fair-skinned people like you and I are predisposed, but they're people who are, you know, 10 or 100 times more than we are uh, for genetic reasons, where everybody in the family starts getting it early. Mm-hmm. But for most people, it's the sun. Got it. And talk to us about melanoma and how that's different from the basal and squamous cell and the, the increase in danger of melanoma. Right. It is usually pigmented, not always but it's usually pigmented. The pigment is irregular, variable at the edge. And again, it's growing. So if you see this little spot there that's been there for 20 years, it hasn't changed, but now you look at it, you say, well, I'm not sure. Take a picture of it, check it again. Uh, If you see something you know is growing and you can see it persistently enlarge, Mm -hmm. definitely get that checked. Um, Usually you're talking about things that are gonna be bigger than a quarter inch, but they can be smaller too. If you really see something growing rapidly and bleeding, I wouldn't wait. Because it could be the others, you know, you can't early on, sometimes it's hard to tell even the basal cell, which can be pigmented from a melanoma, but generally as you get bigger and larger and it's flat, although sometimes it can be just a raised bump that's dark or bleeding. So that's why there is a lot of overlap in the presentation, Mm -hmm. but certainly it's an enlarged, irregular, growing, and usually somewhat mottled pigmented spot. And so when you have either basal or squamous cell that your doctor has found, what are the treatments for that? Basal and squamous cell are generally surgical removal. There are some creams you can use for basal cell. Um, Radiation can be used, but generally it's surgical removal. And if it's not around the middle of your face, it's generally pretty easy to remove. On the face, it's a little trickier, but it can definitely be done. Isn't freezing a common treatment? Those are for the precancers. Those are for actinic keratosis. These are these rough spots, which are pre-squamous cells. And as I said, they don't, they, they actually rarely become individually, but people tend not to get one. You start getting them and then there are people who come in with hundreds. Right. And so you can definitely treat anyone that bothers you. And some people treat all of them, but I think the data for that is small, that it's actually that helpful, but definitely you need to, that's the wake up call. Because if you're getting sun, you are supercharging those things. Got it. Okay. How often should you see the dermatologist, Jeff? It depends on what's going on. A dermatologist in general will say once a year, but there's no data for that. Um, people generally pick up their own skin cancers. So people can do a decent job, but certainly if you've had skin cancer, then that's different. Then you're going to be followed some interval depending on those things. But I would say, it'd be good to check yourself. Again, my colleagues will say once a month. For a lot of people, that's a lot, unless mm-hmm. there's a risk. But I would say once a year, if you look yourself over, see something you don't recognize, that would be 
not a huge burden and worth the check. Some people I'll say, you know, they say, well, how do I know? Well, then I'll tell them everybody has a camera now in their phone. Mm-hmm. Have your partner or a friend take a picture. And then you have a good record that you know if something's new or not. And that's pretty simple. And the, the, the phones are so good now that you can blow it up and look at those things. And so that's a good way to follow things. And, uh, you know, it, it's very cost effective and actually very effective because it gives you the baseline for the doctor in the future. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. So I guess using the what are now wonderful cameras on phones are a great way to uh, kind of help treat yourself. So let, so you talked about freezing and people had coming in with a lot of these keratosis. I know when I have gone to the uh, to the dermatologist because I do have light skin. Uh, he, he does an inspection. There's usually more than one place that gets frozen if I haven't been careful over mm-hmm. the last few months. It's a field effect. So when you have one, one thing to understand, if you look under the microscope, you'll see earlier stages basically wall to wall. You know, so sure, the person who gets one at 30, it's not true. But when you get to our age and you start getting some, it is a field effect. Hmm. So you have them wall to wall. And so although I think it's reasonable to treat them, especially if they're symptomatic, but if you don't tell the patient that the most important thing is not my freezing it, but you're protecting yourself. And, and of course, coming in, if something's changing in a fit way, right. you're missing the boat. And that's my one, you know, I spend most of my time talking to people about prevention. And a lot of people like to treat them because people find it very like the doctor's getting rid of it. Yeah. But yeah. They, they come and go. One in 100, 97 out of 100 will go away in a year without doing anything. You were at risk for others. And so that's why it's good to check. But, and, uh, but it's a field effect. And so you want to, calm down that field. And so when you say field effect, tell me a little bit more what you mean by that. The whole area you got sun has that change. So if I, if I did a tiny biopsy any place on your face in the sun exposed areas, you would find changes like an actinic keratosis, but less obvious, Mm. but it's sun damage wall to wall. Oh, I see. Okay. And so that's why focusing on the individual spots, I think is, we want to deal with them, but if you don't inform them that you are like that where you don't see anything, uh, then, you, then you start to realize, well, just freezing me is not going to cure me, which is true. And right. it's not a curable thing, but you can control it. The more you sun protect, the less you know, the thing kind of calms down. Right, right. So let's go on to talk about melanoma, how that develops, and then what are the treatments for that, and also the danger of contracting it. Well, melanoma is dependent and the seriousness is dependent on how thick it is in the skin. That's the first level of, of diagnosis and they measure it in millimeters. And uh, so that usually means it's going to be raised, but it can be flat and go deep without being raised. So we can't always tell by looking at it, but uh, the thickness on a biopsy tells you how, as a first pass, how serious it is. And then like anything else that spreads to the nose or other internal, it's even more serious. And this cl- tight, you know, it's classified by that. But the key thing is, you know, you want to catch it. Like I said, it'll be sort of irregular, variegate browns, reds, blues, and growing. Mm-hmm. And if you see anything like that, get it checked. Nowadays, you can often send it to your doctor. A lot of places will let you let them send in a picture as a first pass. Mm-hmm. And so some places, and I think that's very helpful because um, then the doctors can better triage you. Right. And uh, so then once you get the biopsy, generally they can be surgically excised. It's a much bigger excision margin than with the other skin cancers. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, the most common place for most people is not the face, but as you get older, the face becomes the most common place, which of course is this cosmetic issue. 
Uh, but there are other treatments. Uh, in the old days, when I started in the field, there was really nothing besides surgery. Now there are pretty good immunotherapies hmm. um, that can have significant effect on slowing the progression of disease or even causing long-term remissions. Some of these drugs, we don't really know how good that is because they're new enough that we don't know the numbers, but it is really a field which has done a revolution where there was nothing treated before. Now some of the newest drugs work fairly well and it's a real blessing for people that, that that's available and probably will continue to be available. And is melanoma, does it spread? Is it like other cancers that can metastasize? Exactly. So even a squamous cell and a basal cell, even much less, can metastasize. It's just very rare. With melanoma, it can definitely go, depending how thick it is, gives you the sense of what the proportion who will spread. So the thicker it is, the more likely it is to first go to the local draining nose, like if it's on your arm, it'll go to your underarm or your mm. face will go to your neck, but that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So there's scans they can look for. And then they'll often sample those nodes to see how many there are, what they're like. And that will determine what the therapies will be, surgery or other, other boosters of the immune system or things like that. Right. And I want to, you mentioned before this genetic predisposition to these kinds of things. And uh, there's so many other diseases where I've learned about where, yes, there may be a genetic predisposition, but it's really about how you live your life and your behavior as to whether those genetics really express themselves or not. That's definitely true. That's for overwhelming group of people. It's not this thing where like everybody in your family is going to get it for sure. Mm -hmm. It's if you're careful, you won't get it. And if you're not, you might. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, the simplest thing is how fair you are and the second thing is if there's anybody in your family who has it. So if you have a lot of people in your family and you're fair, then, you know, if you, especially if you live in a place like California compared to New York, not that New York doesn't get it, but it's just so much more common in sunny places. Right. So Jeff, tell us, how do we protect ourselves? Do we have to be paranoid or what are some reasonable ways, as you're saying, to protect yourself from too much sun? The simplest ways are wearing a broad hat and a shirt. And when I say a hat, a baseball cap only covers your forehead Mm -hmm. and leaves your ears, your neck, and actually most of your face, including the tip of your nose, down unprotected. Mm -hmm. A broad hat that goes out about three inches, and there's some very reasonable ones that don't stop traffic you can wear, but it's a (laughs) tough transition for most people. They really have to be nurtured over that hump from a baseball cap, which is what you see the coaches on the sidelines wear to a full hat, which is the only one that really works. Right. And a t-shirt. And there are sun protective clothing, which I recommend, but not because they're more sun protective, but the good ones are comfortable enough. You can wear a long sleeve shirt in the summer sun. Mm -hmm. You can't tolerate it. You won't wear it. Mm -hmm. And, but you would almost never get burned through any reasonable shirt. The only exception is like a men's white undershirt, which is wet. That is like transparent to the sun. So if you're wearing a white T-shirt on the beach and it's getting wet, you're not that protected. But you wear the average colored T-shirt on the sun. Now, you're not getting arm protection and a long sleeve shirt will do that. But again, if you had to say the basic thing, if you can wear a broad hat, you can wear a T-shirt, that is the best thing. Sunscreen is great in addition. If you don't want to wear a long sleeve shirt, you can put it below your, you know, below your, your, your um, sleeve down mm-hmm. and on your face, the exposed areas. Uh, if you're wearing a broad hat, you really only have to cover up the nose and the cheeks. Your forehead is pretty well protected with a hat. Mm-hmm. So it's just below that and your neck you want to protect. 
So uh, you made you made an interesting comment before about if you're going to wear a T-shirt, it should not be white because especially if it's wet, it's transparent. I remember, <clears> you know, at, at, as a kid wearing a white T-shirt in the ocean. And of course, that was getting wet. But you're saying I can wear a T-shirt, but it really should not be white. It should be a color. Well, I, I meant to say like the men's white undershirt. That is a particular type of bleach. When you you make a shirt like a men's white undershirt, that's transparent. Mm-hmm. A regular cotton shirt, white, is less helpful if it has any color. It's better. It doesn't have to be dark. It turns out like a light blue is a good color. Mm-hmm. Blue, the colors actually affect it. The darker the colors in general protect you more, but they're hotter. So a lighter color is still better than the dead white. It's bleached white. Right. Definitely the conformation of the particle of the strands opens up and lets light through, especially when it's wet. So we're talking with Dr. Jeffrey Schneider. He is currently an associate clinical professor at the University of California at San Francisco Department of Dermatology. He's working to improve sun protection education, especially for patients at higher risk for melanoma. He's retired after 30 years of practice at Kaiser Permanente, but as I just mentioned, he continues with sun protection education. We'll be right back with more from Dr. Schneider after these messages, so stay with us. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's time to get real, discover who you are, and get the tools to navigate your life. It's time to rock your midlife with Dr. Ellen Albertson, the Midlife Whisperer. Your midlife roadmap is the blueprint you need to roll with change, transform yourself, and create a fabulous second adulthood. Get answers and solutions for whatever you're up against and transform problems into opportunities. Make your next life chapter your best chapter with Rock Your Midlife every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Go to Health Radio. To reach Jonathan Marks or his guest expert on the live program, call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to Jonathan Marks at gotohealthmedia.com. Now, back to this week's show. 
Hey, this is Jonathan Marks, and we're back with Dr. Jeffrey Snyder on Go to Health, and we're talking about sun protection and aging of the skin. So, Jeff, in the last segment, we started talking about hats and shirts and covering yourself. Let's talk about sun protection using sunscreen. Tell us about that because there, you know, when I go into the grocery store, it's, a, you know, it's like a wall of sunscreen, and I don't know what to get, what's best, how to use it effectively. Go ahead, tell us. Well, sunscreen is probably the product that has people spend the most money on for sun protection. It's a, it's a multi-billion dollar business, a lot of advertising. It is a good product. I'd always take a broad hat and a t-shirt over a sunscreen, mm-hmm. but sunscreen is a great additional thing on the areas you don't want to cover with clothes, like your forearms, your lower face. You don't want to wear, of course, people wearing masks for COVID are protected, but uh, <clears throat> hopefully we don't have to wear that forever. Right. So- the key thing about sunscreen is two things. The SPF, you want a reasonable number, anything above 30. And the other thing is to put on enough. Hmm. And that's the dirty secret because there's nothing on the bottle that says how much to use. It says liberally. Yes. Nope. That doesn't mean anything to anybody. Um, we have a handout, which I think I'd send to you, which goes over what that is because it's a, something you have to write down. My One of my things I'm working on now is getting companies to start making pump action things that you would just do one pump for a certain area mm-hmm. because we've shown that people can be trained to do it which is to cover your arm it takes a half a teaspoon hmm. the problem is i tell it to people they actually know it because i'll test them on it but they don't take the teaspoon and do it and every sunscreen because it's different viscosity some are thick some are thin uh, looks different in your palm so you have to learn what each one of your sunscreens looks like on your hand to know how to, so it's, a, it's, it's tricky. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could also bring a teaspoon with you, a half teaspoon with you, but it's tricky. But anyway, there's a simple amount, it's half teaspoon for your each arm and your head, neck, and a full teaspoon for some of the regions of your body. But it's, it's, and actually one of the companies used to have the picture that I recommended on the back of the bottle, but nobody, it's too hard for most people. You got to mm-hmm. go simple, mm-hmm. but you have to put a lot on and a half teaspoon is a good measure and uh, for the for any, an ind- individual area, but it's well, I guess for the most common areas, the face and head, neck. So that's a half teaspoon, and for each arm is a half teaspoon. Okay. So that gives you a good idea if you want to, but you measure it out for yourself because you can't guess how much it'll be. Right now, let's talk about legs and chest and back. Well, again, that's more. It would take a full teaspoon to cover the front of your torso, a half, full teaspoon for the back of your torso, and a full teaspoon for each leg. Mm-hmm. So that's the amount. And again, that's a lot for your whole body. It comes out to be a shot glass, about 30, 40. So, but again, that's hard to divide up because, right. you know, so it's tricky. That's why it's nice now individually, but that's how much it would take. Now that's the second thing is cost becomes a factor. If you're really using a shot glass of sunscreen, which is an ounce and a half, and you're spending $30 for a three ounce of sunscreen, people tend to use less. And my mm-hmm. study have shown and other people have shown that you lose less when it's more expensive. So I tell my colleagues, you're doing them a disservice when you say, if for your face, sure, you want to spend a really lot on sunscreen, fine. Right. Um, but if you're going to use it for larger areas, you want to go for a more reasonable one, apply it fully. Because if you want to get that number, you have to put the amount I told on you. If you use a half, you get half. If you use a quarter, you get a quarter. Most people put on a quarter Hmm. to a third of what, that, of what they're supposed to, and they're getting that corresponding a little of the number on the bottle. Mm-hmm. So you get a 30, put it on right. Now, people will say, well, doc, I'll use 100. 
And can I use less? Well, in terms of a sunburn protection, that's true, but there's something called UVA and UVB. And UVA people call the aging rays and UVB are the sunburn rays, which are also the most cancerous, but the UVA does cause cancer too. Wait, and so, so that, UVA is aging and B is, is burning, cancer. burning, burning okay. and cancer, right? Okay. Aging now that's a simplification, okay, a simplification. When you read this about the UV index, that's all about UVB. Okay. And so now we all know that in the mid, the summer is when you can get most, but actually it's not quite the summer. The peak day of sun is the summer solstice, June 21st. So actually two and a half, three months before you're getting a ton of sun, people are thinking, well, I don't have to worry about the sun till the summertime and it gets hot. By the end of August, you're really over the peak down. By the time you get into September, you're really getting close to the um, equinox and it's much less. And by the time you get to Christmas time, there's hardly any UVB. But UVA is the same all year, all day. Oh, wow. Oh, I didn't That's know That's why that. I have patients who say, Doc, I went out and I swam my pool every morning at dawn. I don't have to worry about it. Well, but why do I have the suntan on my back? That's because UVA will tan you and it also ages, ages. you. Yeah. And so that's why you need a, a broad spectrum suntan applied appropriately, because if you use that hundred and use a third of it, uh, you're, and to start out with the sunscreens are not as good. That number is only the burn protection. They're about a third as good against UVA as they are against UVB. Got it. So it's actually starting out less and then going lower for the aging protection. So, so let me ask a question just for clarity. You said use that 100. Are you talking about SPF 100? Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying some people will say, Doc, I, I don't want to put on this much. If yeah. I use an SPF 100, can I use a third or quarter of what you're saying? And oh. it, it will reduce your, SP, you know, your SPF, but still a 30 is, is a good SPF. Yeah. But for UVA, it's much less than that. So for your aging protection, you can't do that. That's a trick that doesn't work. Okay. So what you're saying is whatever sunscreen you buy, you should use the recommended volume that you talked about. Exactly. Um, and not try to adjust it based upon the SPF score. Correct. You Got should it. use a 30 in that 23rd, 25, 30 range. That's yep. a good number for, for, for you know, uh, if you, especially if you're in California, we get a lot of sun. But even in New York, you're out a whole day in the middle of summer, you get a lot of sun. Yeah. So is it worth, so you're saying SPF 30 is good, but you certainly, I've never seen a hundred, but you certainly, I see 40, 50, 75. Is that a waste You're good. of money or should we be, what should we be buying? Well, at this point, the price is such that there's not a big difference in price between those two, that mm -hmm. between a 30 and a 45 and 50, that, that's, that's a, that's a sort of mid range, a good sunscreen. And then you're right, need to put the right amount, but don't spend too much on it because then you'll underuse it. So right. my favorite, I always tell people what's the cheapest one because I figure they'll use it. And uh, well, we didn't want to talk about brands, but certainly you, you, most sunscreens with a reasonable number and a good brand, if you apply it adequately, you'll be fine. Now, there are recommended ones that people test because the, the FDA does not actually check the SPF. They just take it from the manufacturers. And when people mm -hmm. like Consumer Reports check it, they turn out they're all, almost all overestimates. Hmm. But not the good ones are very little ones, but some are quite underestimated. Um, there's also another controversy about these, the ones with zinc yes. and the ones with chemicals. Mm -hmm. Zinc is certainly the safer part, but it's not, it's hard to get a high number. It's hard to get a, a number of about 25 with zinc. Hmm. 
So, uh, and it's a little more whitening. It's certainly safe. And for babies, there's no reason not to use that because they don't complain about that. Uh, for adults, it's a little trickier because of cosmetic acceptability. Mm-hmm. But if you're worried about things, uh, that's a good one. There's a whole thing about being reef safe. Like in Hawaii, you can't take a sunscreen with oxybenzone in it. Um, and so that has effect on reefs. So a lot of them will say reef safe, and that's what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's small, small issues. But basically, if you use enough and a decent number, like about in the 30 or above range, mm-hmm. and use enough, you'll get pretty good protection. Uh, although clothes never fail because you don't have to worry about how much is on your skin when you put a hat on. Uh, it's good. And shirts, uh, like a cotton shirt, as long as you're saying it's not bleached white, is going to Exactly. Okay. I'm almost... It's there, maybe if you go to Hawaii and face the sun all day, you'll get into trouble. Yeah. But for most people, if you're wearing a colored T-shirt... Uh, it's going to be have some color in it. It's going to pretty give you good protection where you're covered, but not where you're not covered. But where you are, I've almost never had a patient come in and say, "Doc, I got burned through my shirt." Yeah. Now I'm light skinned, as as you mentioned before, Jeff. I've had an experience where I was at the beach. I was sitting under an umbrella. I was had a hat on, but no sunscreen, and my face got really burned. And what I imagine happened is, was it was re- reflection off of all the sand. Is that, does that happen? Water, sand, and ice are very good reflections for ultraviolet rays. Okay. So there's something called shade and deep shade. You oh, were in shade. That. Yeah. And there's something called deep shade. When you're in a forest and there's a one, you know, but beam of light coming down, then if you're under an umbrella, you are completely protected. But if you can see, so... But even if there's nothing reflective, even if you're on black tar, there's what's called scatter. The reason the sky is blue, because in the outer space, it's all black, but on Earth, you see blue, right. is because the, the blue rays, the, the shorter wavelengths scatter, and blue is the shortest wavelength. So you're seeing light bounce around and hits you coming right at you. Mm-hmm. So even when you're not worried about reflection, you get about, well, it's going to vary upon time of year. You're going to get 30% of your sun coming right at you under a hat. So even a hat isn't perfectly protective, which is why I say, if you're going to be out a lot, I put on some sunscreen to cover some of your, you know, your face. Right. But the hat still does good. You know, it's there, you know, it's there. It doesn't wash off. So hats are very reliable. Shirts obviously are fine because, you know, there's nothing, everything that's covered is covered. Right. So let's talk a little bit more about the aging of the skin. Um, And I, I, you know, I think most people know of people who are just sun worshipers and they're in their older year, later years, and their, their skin is really, I guess, permanently tanned, but also just kind of leathery. Can you describe the process of aging of the skin? Well, there's the epidermis, which is the outer layer and the dermis, the deeper layer. Um, what the UVA does, it penetrates deeply and turns your skin, the shoe leather, the, le- the leather of your skin, turns it into jello. And so when you look under the microscope, it's just like mush. It's wow. so it doesn't hold its right. It just gets those rinty bridges and wrinkling mm. and it just loses its. And then some people, it gets so thin, it'll tear. Wow. Now, some of that is aging, but it's definitely accelerated with, with sun. And so uh, well, they'll get these big bruises. You see, all these people have black and blue in their arm. They say, no, I, I'm not hitting anything. Just the lightest touch will cause them to bruise. And unfortunately, there's nothing we can do to get that back. So once you've got it, you got it, and it only gets worse. Mm-hmm. But you'd like to stay away from it. So that's why I actually almost never go out, even with sunscreen on my arm, I go with a shirt because that's the most reliable protector. Mm-hmm. But sunscreen is good. It's definitely helpful. But now, the lighter you are, the more likely that's going to be a problem. So the 
medium skinned people, it's a much less a problem. But in the lightest people, if you're old enough and in a sunny enough area, your skin will get a lot of changes. Now, the epidermal changes are the pigmentary things you talk about. And the fine wrinkling is a combination of both mm-hmm. of the deeper and the superficial changes, giving you that fine wrinkling. But you look at a black person who's the same age as you, lives in the same area, you can see the difference in your skin and those qualities. They won't have that nearly as much because pigment is a wonderful protector for the skin. Right. So let's talk about that. People who do have darker skin, what do they have to do the same kinds of protection or less? Or how can everybody protect themselves regardless of what skin color you've got? Right. I think if there's a risk for everybody, but it gets to be much lower with darker skin people. I wouldn't say they have no risk. They certainly do get melanoma, about one-tenth the rate of whites. So it mm-hmm. does exist. And when it's present in, in darker skin people, it tends to be in a funny area like the palms and soles, because both your palms, your soles, and your lips are pink. Mm. They have no pigment. So those are areas where it shows up, which is not surprising when you think about it. But so you're proportionate. You know how easily you get burnt and how easily you tan. Now, a tan, any tan, is a response to injury. So when people come into me and say, Doc, I don't have to worry about it. I got this dark tan. I'm fine. Well, you've cooked your skin, and that's the way your body protects itself. <laughs> you've already had damage. I now, see. so some of the people who have the worst problems are people who are fair, but they tan deeply, and they think, I don't have to worry about it. I'm as protected as, no, you are not. Mm-hmm. So it, now you're less than me. You have more protection than I would but a lot less than they think they are because they've already injured themselves to get dark. Wow. So the tan is already an injury. Yes. Wow. Now, and one thing about- that is, that is so, it's so cosmetically beautiful is to look all tanned and like you've gotten sun. Cause that is a very interesting thing. If you look in most of world history, most people in most cultures still like an Asian now, the lighter you are, the more prestigious it is because- if you have darker, darker skin, you're a field hand. Mm-hmm. If you're an aristocrat, you were white. And that was true among Europeans until Coco Chanel realized that people could go to the Mediterranean and make it back to Paris before their, their um, tan faded on a train. <laughs> so she had her models get tan. So the standard of beauty, if you look at all stand in European, say, for example, it's always the fairest of the fair. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing inherently beautiful. It's just that once Coco started that and it became a thing, the new thing became go to the, get the vacation, come back home. And when you see models of tan, they're beautiful. When you see models of light, they're beautiful. It's just what they tell you is more beautiful. And what, right. you, what you imprint on as a kid is really affects you throughout your life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I am totally imprinted from when I was a kid. <laughs> exactly. I, I'm sure we all are. Wow. Okay. So really, so tan is really a burning of the skin. So it's, it's, it's less than a burn. It, well, I say use the burn sort of, it is not a full burn, a full burn. When you look at a microscope for sunburn, you see dead cells all over the place. It's this mess. A tan, you'll have some of those cells, but much less. And mm-hmm. the body's protected itself. So you won't keep getting a lot more. It's not completely protective, but it, it is, it is somewhat protective. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's, I wouldn't be paranoid about a tan. I wouldn't try to get a tan. Mm-hmm. And I would certainly realize that you're not being that protected. Some protection for sure, but not as much as a lot of people think. You know, I do see some people who are very fair skinned who wear these huge hats and they're almost, it's almost covered to where you can't see their face. Is that overdoing it or is that reasonably protective for somebody who's very light skinned? 
that is definitely more protective. I have hats like that. And when I go hiking in the in the hills where nobody's there, I wear that. When uh-huh. I go to the farmer's market, I wear something a little more socially appropriate. <laughs> okay. um, so I think that's the thing. I mean, you know, you don't want to stop traffic. Yes. But there's no question that big hat gives you more protection. And I have one. I'm perfectly comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it, it's what you want. But I think any sense of protection, if you don't wear that, wear sunscreen and a hat, uh, you even want to wear a cap and a hat, it's reasonable. But the full hat is going to give you more protection because I think we mentioned once, the most li- from studies the CDC has done, the most likely thing you can do that will cause a burn in terms of if you have a choice of protections, sun- people who use sunscreen alone get the most sunburns. And people who use, this is really interesting, who use like hats and shirts and pants and sunscreen, they get more burns than people who use shats and shirts and no sunscreen. Because people look at that number, this 50, 60, and they think this is like, I'm putting on like a suit of armor. Right. And it isn't. And so if you're, if you're wearing clothes, like I said, I've never seen anybody coming to me to say I got burnt with clothes on under that, you know, except in the rare, the really light white shirts getting, so it's just more foolproof and people think sunscreen is better than it is. It is a great adjuvant, a helper, but if you depend on it completely, you really got to put a lot on and most people don't. All right. So we are talking with Dr. Jeffrey Schneider. He worked for 30 years at Kaiser Permanente in dermatology. He's now at the University of California as an associate clinical professor working on improving sun protection education. And he's doing that right now with us at Go to Health. Stay with us. We'll be right back with a third segment after these messages. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? We don't think so. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Ed Cheney. Ed and his guests will explain full-spectrum CBD, using the whole hemp plant for good health and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
You are listening to Go to Health Radio. To reach Jonathan Marks or his guest expert on the live program, call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to Jonathan Marks at gotohealthmedia.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hey, this is Jonathan Marks. Welcome back to Go to Health. We're talking with Dr. Jeffrey Schneider, dermatologist. So Jeff, in the last two sessions, we've been talking about how to protect yourself with both clothing and sunscreen. I want to know a little bit more about your background. Can you tell us about your history and what interested you in dermatology, how you got into it? Well, actually, I, you know, I watched Marcus Welby MD as a kid, so I wanted to be an internist. And I actually trained in internal medicine. But while I was training internal medicine, I rotated through several other fields. And I had done some dermatology training in medical school because I was told that as an internist, about a third of the patients will come in with skin problems. So I wanted to know more. But then I realized I liked the dermatology more than the internal medicine, although I like medicine. Mm-hmm. And so I switched over to dermatology. That's what got me out to the West Coast. They trained here at UCSF. Uh-huh. And uh, I was, when I got to San Francisco, I was most impressed with how sunny it is here. Mm-hmm. It's just so much brighter and correspondingly, the amount of skin cancer is just so much higher here because there's just so much more sun. Right. So um, early on, realize that that's true. You want to do, you know, if you want to prevent, practically when I started, there was no real good treatments for melanoma besides surgery. So I said, if we can't do anything that, let's prevent it. So I got really into what was usually the only thing I could do to help reduce the number of melanomas that way. Did you find uh, people compliant or people pretty, um, pretty much sun worshipers and really not listening to your advice very much? That's a good question. I, what I discovered was you have to ask people what they do outside. Tell me what your outdoor habits are. And then one by one, I would say to runners, well, you know, you could wear a sort of a one of those because I like the B caps, but get one with a little flap. You know, wear a T-shirt, but you know, I could go over each one, and then with a golfer, they can wear the Greg Norman hat because that's socially acceptable for golfers. Mm-hmm. So I have to go through each one of their habits, and I could help them, but that takes time. And what I realized was, it was um, most people don't want to spend that much time. It probably takes about ten minutes to really do that well with people. Mm-hmm. I love to do it. My nurses would have to scream at me, "Get out! You have patients waiting." <laughs> but. Uh, I think it, it takes time. And so that's one of the reasons why people love to give people handouts. Mm-hmm. And I've always said to my colleagues, uh, you can give them a handout unless you've explained it to them, it goes right in the trash. Mm. So if you want them to read it, you need to go over with them the points that you want to make, underline it, so then they can find it easily. But very few people go home and read the handouts. Mm. And so you really have to make a point. Now, it doesn't have to be you. It could be your nurse. You could have a video playing in your office. You know, there are things you can do to make that easier. Right. Um, But I think education is key because, as we said, and these are the major cause of this problem, and we can make a bigger dent in it if we did better. Mm -hmm. Um, Even for people who are well-meaning. I mean, the amazing thing about the study we did was we had people who had melanoma who were doing everything in terms of hats, shirts, this and that. But none of them, they, did, they didn't put any more sunscreen on than the people who didn't have any requests, because even if they knew the half teaspoon, nobody had gotten home and put it in their palms. So the study was, we put it in their palms so they could see it. And then they actually 
learned how to use it. And they it did it actually faded over time, but it was helpful. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think dosing it with a pump or something like that, because it's really hard to remember this abstract thing. And every one of your sunscreens looks different. Right. Um, so that's, we're going to be publishing something about that soon. Right. So Jeff, let me ask. So one of the things that I've heard, isn't it better to put sunscreen on before you go in the sun or does that not matter? No, it, it does. Uh, it's a little con- con- confusing because that's true for chemical sunscreens. It takes a little time for them to penetrate deeply mm-hmm. because they work a little different than the other sunscreens. Zinc sunscreens work instantly. Okay. But the other ones need to be put on a few minutes before you go out, um, maybe about 10, 15 or something like that. It's rare people do that. I mean, some people do. It's whatever's convenient for them. If in the United States, the Dermatology Association recommends reapplying sunscreen because they're assuming you're putting on a third and you're going to reapply it. My only problem with that is, as we know from other drugs, you give tell a person to take a once a day drug, they'll do it most of the time, three Mm -hmm. times a day drugs. So if you expect people to put it on three times every two hours, you're whistling up a tree. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd like to get them to do it right first, because if you go out at 11, 12 o'clock and it you don't, apply, you don't have enough on until your third application, right. uh, you've had a problem. So Jeff, I have a question for you. You've talked about volume and um, yes, in certain sunscreens, you should put it on before you go out. What do you think about the idea of before you get in the car, before you load up the car, you put on your sunscreen, but you measure out the sunscreen with that half teaspoon that you can get from your kitchen drawer. What do you think about that idea? I think that's a great idea. Uh, I think it's worth doing if you can remember to do it. And actually, you'll learn what your sunscreen is. Mm-hmm. So I think that's very helpful. That that makes a difference for chemical sunscreens. For non-chemicals, it works instantly, but it, it is actually a good idea. As you said it, if you can do it in advance that way, right? Um, that would be helpful for both. And Dr. Schneider has uh, shared with me, and I'm sharing with you on our website, a uh, handy handout that you can download. Um, and Jeff, tell us what is on the uh, handout that you're providing. Well, I have things about hat recommendations um, and sunscreens and shirts and for different activities like biking versus this. I mentioned some things you could do. Wonderful. Like if you're wearing bike pants, you could wear knee socks too to cover the lower leg and sunscreen. So a couple of tricks you could do that are helpful for different things. And uh, I think clothes are always better, as we said, but sunscreens are a great addition. Got it. And do you recommend particular sunscreens in your handout? I do have some names. They're not the only ones, but I think they're good ones. There are plenty of other good ones, too. You can find out in other sources. Great. And you've also provided us with information on where people can go on the web to find out more information about subscreen, sunscreens. Yes. And, and those websites were, what did you mention? Well, there's Consumer Reports mm-hmm. and um, the New York Times Wirecutter, but those are restricted uh, there's one called the Environmental Working Group, which are very zinc pro sunscreen, which is good. Plus, there's pluses and minuses with that, mm-hmm. but they're free and open to anybody. So that's a good place to look for free. Uh, just understanding that not people are not quite as critical of chemical sunscreens, um, particularly if they don't have oxybenzone, which as I mentioned in the article, that the downsides are more theoretical than real. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you also mentioned about reef safe sunscreen. What's that about? Well, it turns out that some of the chemicals, one of the biggest one is something called oxybenzone, which is in some sunscreens. 
but now you can't go to Hawaii with an oxybenzone. They won't sell them there. And I guess if they catch you at the airport with that, they'll put it, they won't let you in because uh-huh. it does harm. There's most recent evidence is, is after they have damage from bleaching, the, the oxybenzone gets in it and finishes them off. Wow. So it seems to be harmful uh, to reefs. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, so if you're headed to Hawaii, you want to make sure you've got the right sunscreen with you. Right, right. Okay, good. So, Jeff, so tell us a little bit more about sun protection education and what you're doing in that, in that area. Well, uh, what we're talking about today is exactly uh, what I'm saying about um, trying to figure out a good, easy method for people to put the right amount on. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we talked about the half teaspoon, but that requires little effort. Um, other things like maybe we're going to try to get manufacturers to think about pump actions, which will give them delivered a standard dose. Right. It's kind of like you wouldn't expect your doctor to say, here's this, take as much as you want. It's You have to take something. In the old days, you would have a capsule where somebody measured it out, put it in the capsule and gave to you. So, uh, you know, it's sort of, that's called dosing. And I think that may be the future, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Got it. So it really is just to repeat, which I think is a good idea to do, just to repeat. So what we're talking about is physical protection, either from a hat or clothing of some kind, as long as it's not bleached white, any kind of color will protect you from the sun. But then also, in addition to that, for places that are not covered, you should be using sunscreen. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So clothes Uh, are always the best or being in the shade, but that's not always what you want. Right. But uh, if you're going to be in the sun, then clothes and then sunscreen is a secondary, not a primary. Got it. And what about reapplying? Even if I put on the right amount of sunscreen, when do I need to reapply? Well, if you're just putting on the average amount, um, the American Academy of Dermatology recommends every hour or two to put another dose. Wow. Or if you put on the adequate dose, you're okay for the day. Um, but you have to know what that is. And that's hard, as we said. Right. But if you do the teaspoon thing, then you're fine. Okay. Even if I go on the water? Most sunscreens that are rated as water resistant, you do lose some, but you retain enough that you'll be okay. If you really think you've used a lot, and especially if you, you know, rinse off, do a lot of things like that, you rub it off, then you might reapply it. But it should really last huh. if you put the right amount on. That's the problem. Most people don't put enough. How, how much is melanoma and skin cancers increasing in the U.S.? Well, that's a good question. Um, there are numbers. It's been increasing at about, I forget the right number, about 5 6% a year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's in incidence. In mortality, very little. Mm-hmm. And people used to say it's because we're catching it, but the, a lot of people believe it's, there's a problem. When you look at early skin cancer, it's hard to separate from sun damage. Uh-huh. And so that, that we may be diagnosing extra, but I, I, it's, that's a, it's a theoretical argument at this point, yeah. but it's increasing. But uh, we know that by reducing your sun, there's one study in Australia suggesting, at least for, for a squamous cell, that it reduces the amount of skin cancer you get. We certainly know it protects the sun from the sun damage you can see visually. All right. So again, in summary, We've talked about the kind of protections you have, but in terms of the kind of cancers you can get, we've talked about basal cell, we've talked about squamous cell cancers, and then we've also talked about melanoma, which is probably the most um, dangerous and can be life-threatening. So you want to make sure you get checked. If you've got, tell us briefly again, Jeff, what are the symptoms of these three different types? Well, the, the symptoms 
for melanoma will mostly be changed early on. You wouldn't expect there to be very many symptoms. You can have symptoms. You can have burning, bleeding. That's rare. So you see a growing, irregular, variable color spot that wasn't there before and is now growing. Got it. Um, if you're not sure, you can take a picture of it, check it again. Or if it's definitely, you know, it's growing, then definitely get it checked. The others tend to be either little sores that don't heal, like the basal cell or squamous cell is this tender, crusty spot, again, mm-hmm. that's growing. And in any of those cases, I would get it checked. They're not always those things, but certainly that would make you worry about it. Jeff Schneider, thank you so much for being with us. Dr. Schneider is retired from 30 years of practice as the Chief of Dermatology in Marin and Southern Sonoma Counties for Kaiser Permanente, and he's currently working as an Associate Clinical Professor at the University of California, San Francisco in Dermatology and working on sun protection education. Jeff, it's been a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you for helping us be safe in what we hope will be a sunny and wonderful summer. Thanks for being with us. You're welcome. Thank you. We'll be back, everybody, next week with another show. But until then, you can listen to us on Voice America and seven other podcast networks. You can also watch us at gotohealthmedia.com. And as I mentioned earlier, on Jeff Schneider's page, you will see a download that you can take, which will give you a lot of information about sun protection and uh, sunscreen. And uh, we hope you'll download that so that you can have the best information to enjoy the summer with your family. Take care, everybody. We'll be back next week. This is Jonathan Marks and Go to Health. Thank you for tuning in this week to Go to Health Radio. Be sure to join Jonathan Marks and another health expert next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You can also catch the program on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next show, be sure to visit us on the web at gotohealthmedia.com and elevate your life.